This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. We are about, as of recording, about 24 hours removed from Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman being fired as Vikings coach and general manager, respectively. Going to spend a lot of time on the Vikings again today. Hope you enjoyed yesterday's two episodes, the one with Patrick Royce that we recorded in the morning and the one with Ben Gessling, Vikings beat writer, after the news broke, breaking it all down. So we got more on that today. Andrew Kramer joins me here in a little bit to kind of go through the highs and the lows of the Mike Zimmer era and the Rick Spielman era, trying to determine you know, were the highs higher than the lows were low? Where do we judge that on balance? Also, we'll do the final installment of my least favorite team is my favorite team of this season. Just didn't spend a whole lot of time on that Bears game since it was not uh, did not have a whole lot of meaning and instead got into a lot of big picture stuff. But first, what did I miss? I want to get into a story here that you know is, is interesting with the Vikings in terms of their head coaching search. It just kind of struck me as I look around the NFL and uh, you know a bunch of different vacancies now in the league. A, a bunch of coaches fired on Monday, including Matt Nagy with the Bears. Uh, the Broncos have an opening now. Six openings could be even more if other teams move on from their coaches. Um, but what's interesting is trying to figure out how attractive the Vikings job might be to a potential coach. Like, will they have essentially their pick of all of these, you know, candidates that are out there? Mark Craig did a good job listing out a bunch of different candidates, 12 potential people the Vikings could look at, you know, some contenders for that job, you know, talking about guys like Eric Bieniemy with uh, with with Kansas City, talking about Kellen Moore, their offensive coordinator over with Dallas, just 33 years old. Um, A lot of interesting names on that list. Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator with the Buccaneers right now. Um, Brian Flores just fired as Dolphins head coach, but highly regarded around the league. So a lot of options out there. But how how good is this Vikings job? And, And just kind of looking at what some other people have written, what I'm thinking about is it's kind of all over the map and a little bit in the eye of the beholder. I thought it was very interesting reading NFL.com, um, reading their rankings, you know, they, they have they have the Vikings job being potentially the worst job of all of them out there, which is interesting to me. Like I, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't put them necessarily wouldn't put them last. I don't think, but you know, if you look at it, I think there is you know a case to be made for why that would be last on the list. They've got the they've got the Raiders job, which you know could go to their interim coach, but they've got that job. First, Broncos second, Jaguars third, Dolphins fourth, Bears fifth, and Vikings last out of the six openings that we know of right now. Um, just reading from it, you know, they obviously you know go through the the stability that's been here and some some of the skill position players on offense, uh, but they also talk about the Cousins Kirk Cousins contract potentially being a negative, even if he is you know one maybe one of the better quarterbacks on you know, on these teams that were that have coaching openings, gives them an uncertain future. It says the Vikings invested a load of guaranteed money in their defense last offseason and it underperformed, which means it likely will have to be retooled. And the Vikings are among the teams with the least amount of cap space. That's an interesting one to consider because, yes, according to Over the Cap, going into 2022, the Vikings are in the bottom five of available cap space. Most of the teams um, in that list uh, had good seasons this year. The Packers, the Cowboys, even the Saints, the Rams, the Titans, the 49ers, those are playoff teams right now. 
teams that uh, you know spent heavily and uh, and you know got into the playoffs teams with uh, the most cap space some of them have openings the dolphins the jaguars they're near the top of that list um, so you know teams that have a lot of places to spend teams that have more upside might be more attractive than the vikings job i will say at the plus side of the vikings i think the stability is a big deal and i think you know new facilities both the stadium and tco performance center those could be selling points you know for coaches because those are selling points potentially for players but if you want to look at the flip side it's interesting um bill barnwell from espn did a list of potential openings this was a couple weeks ago um you know jobs that could come open and he was right about most of these that uh, that did eventually become open he ranks the vikings job as the best job um because a lot of it you know, he lists the pros as the talent, patient ownership, veteran quarterback. He also lists the cons as veteran quarterback and cap flexibility. Now, that's a pretty good summation of Kirk Cousins uh, being a pro and a con potentially. Um, you know, they've, they've got a lot of things going their way. They've got a lot of t- talented players on the roster. Kind of depends on which way they want to go. But this is a team that could win in 2022 if you're a coach that wants to win right away. This could be a pretty attractive job the most complete roster maybe for a coach coming in so I think it's just interesting to think of how people look at this job from the outside looking in I think it's probably I don't think I'd put it best I don't think I'd put it worse I think it's maybe in the maybe the third best job I don't know if I would, what I would rank necessarily in the board. I think Denver is probably ahead of them I think that's a pretty attractive job if they can figure out quarterback um but I think the the a certain kind of candidate especially an offensive-minded candidate who looks at what the Vikings have on offense right now might be very attractive to this job. So that could align with what they need going forward. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Sounds like a couple players, by the way, will be ready for a change. Some interesting comments from Eric Kendricks and Brian O'Neill, who met with the media Monday afternoon after the news broke. Here's Eric Kendricks kind of talking about what kind of culture he wants to see in a new coach and a new regime. But I think from an overall standpoint, you know, um, a culture where communication is is, uh, is put at the forefront and, um, you know, no matter how, how uh, what your role is on the staff, you know, you having a voice and, and being able to communicate, uh, you know, things that you, 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 you think could help facilitate wins. You know, I think just having that voice, you know, no matter how big your role is, is important to, to listen up and, you know, take, take, uh, take each other's uh, opinions into account. I don't think that, uh, you know, a fear-based organization is, 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 is the way to go. And I don't know if that's a direct shot at how Zimmer ran things, but it is. it was an interesting comment to kind of parse out. And Brian O'Neill, uh, their right tackle, also had some interesting things to say about the culture in the building and what he wants to see. And you know, talking about how he respected what Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman did and built, uh, had a lot of respect for them from the football side of things, but maybe he's looking for you know, an opportunity to grow with some new voices in the building. Yeah, I think it could be even something as little as hey, how you doing in the hallway or um, feeling like, you know, you walk by guys in the hallway and they say, hello, how you doing? Good morning. Um, We spend so much time together and the season's so long that little personal things here or there could make a huge difference for a young guy Um, or even a rookie who's coming in and isn't really sure how he fits or if he belongs. Um, 
and little different you know personal things like that because guys play their best when they feel good about themselves and their role within a team maybe that's one more check mark in the ledger of a good thing for a coach coming in that sounds like at least those two leaders are looking forward to a new voice and are going to be receptive to a change uh, going forward in 2022. Joined on Tuesdays, as I always am, by Andrew Kramer, covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune. Usually we do a film review on Tuesdays, but you know, A, that regular season finale didn't mean a whole lot um, unless you were Justin Jefferson chasing a record that doesn't mean much to me, but maybe means a lot to him. Um, but the bigger picture, obviously, Andrew, is Monday's decision that the Vikings have fired both head coach Mike Zimmer and general manager Rick Spielman. We've done a lot of content on that already, but you wrote about some of the highs and lows of both of those eras. I thought that was a good way to frame kind of, you know, kind of tie a bow around those things, especially as we kind of spin forward quickly to you know, coaching searches, GM searches, candidates, things like that. Um, what, what do you see as, I guess let's start with Zimmer, as you kind of evaluate his tenure, it was plenty of highs, plenty of lows. How did you, how did you see those shaking out? Yeah, with Mike, it was interesting to go back and, and kind of relive a lot of the roller coasters, right? Because with, with that tenure, eight years as the head coach uh, with the Vikings, finishes with nearly 60% win percentage and, um, kind of at worst was just mediocre, but the problem is, is that that was kind of the floor that they fell to a bit too often. And you go back and look at it and the highs to me were really right out of the gate. I mean, he came in and proclaimed himself this fixer, got the 31st ranked defense. Uh, the Vikings were awful in 2013. Everybody remembers that. And he comes in and, um, two years later is in January at Lambeau field, winning the division with Xavier Rhodes, intercepting a pass as prize pupil at corner. Um, and that defense was on its way. And, and that was a big reason why they started five and zero in 2016, which was another high for him. And then right into that 2017 season where they were number one in yardage and points for the first time since 1970. So that three-year stretch really kind of formed the foundation of expectations for Zimmer. And I remember him talking about Bud Grant warning him, like, you don't want to get too successful too fast because that kind of sets those expectations. And I think that kind of is why we're at where we're at. Because the four years after that, 2018, 19, 20, and 21, there's not a whole lot to talk about in terms of the highs. There was the upset win, obviously, at New Orleans in the playoffs in 2020. And I really think that's the only reason why Zimmer got the additional two years after that. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, as you kind of parse it all out, when you win 60% of your games, it feels like the highs should be higher than the lows are lows. And it's not like the, it's not like the lows ever, like you said, like bottomed out. They never had even a, a double digit loss season. They are always, you know, at least flirting with the playoffs until the final week or two of every season but i like the way you f you phrased it that you know that that they were that they're they were reaching their floor a little too often lately in particular yeah and it was some of the same issues that i'm sure you you spoke with with ben um and, and some of the other people here at the strip I and mean, we've all seen it and when it comes to the offensive staff the special teams the handling of the kickers i'm watching daniel carlson with the raiders last night and just remembering uh, the way Mike Zimmer handled a rookie kicker in the preseason where he 
uh, goes for two uh, as Carlson's missing some and having a bad stretch, uh, just a few bad days. And Zimmer decides to go for two in the preseason to send him a message, a rookie kicker. It's, it's that kind of stuff. And then the bigger issues were more on offense. Um, obviously, he, he has Norv Turner quit on him in the middle of that 2016 season. He clashed with offensive coaches throughout his tenure here um, and really got to a point after Gary Kubiak retired where his only option was Clint Kubiak and to kind of take the reins Zimmer to take the reins more himself. And so I, it's really hard for me to, to parse the 2021 blame of between, is it Clint for the offense? Is it Mike Zimmer kind of having his fingerprints too much all over it? Is it too many cooks in the kitchen? Because Kirk cousins had a more prominent voice as well. Um, Zimmer just couldn't figure it out on that side of the ball. And there's too much talent and, and for them to not kind of have a top 10 or even top five offense with this talent, I think is also one of the reasons why uh, he's on his way out. Yeah. And I wrote about this a little bit on Monday when you, you know, kind of re- referenced Bud Grant telling him don't have too much success too early. He does win those two division titles in three years, so four years of his tenure, but you know, the first year is kind of a, you know, he's trying to set it a set a foundation. So, you know, 2015, you know, 2016, you get after that 5-0 and start, then the offensive line just falls apart. But 2017, everything goes right. You win 13 games. All of a sudden, you're rolling. Then they make the decision to sign Kirk Cousins that offseason, and it really does feel like that was a, if not Kirk himself, that was a clear kind of demarcation point in the pressure ramping up on Zimmer, too, and just, you know, what that meant for how much depth they were going to be able to have at certain positions. Because it wasn't like they weren't able to keep a lot of his favorite defensive players because they did, but it certainly took a hit on their depth as you covered him though. Did you see a difference in him as years went on as that kind of pressure and those expectations built, especially off of that 2017 season and off of going all in on Kirk cousins? I think, I don't, I don't think he changed all too much. I think when you get your first head coaching gig at 57, you were pretty stuck in a way of doing things. Now he learned I think ways to be a better head coach, ways to structure practices, tried to learn ways to be a better game manager, but he could never give up the defensive play calling and he never developed anybody as a defensive play caller other than his own son and Adam Zimmer. So that kind of stranglehold on it really didn't help him be a good governor of the entire team. And so I think as the years went on, the insertion of Kirk into this team was really kind of a wedge and, it became a wedge between him and Spielman where we heard Zimmer weeks before they signed Kirk saying, I, I don't want to kind of rob Peter to pay Paul here from our team. I want to be able to kind of move forward with what got us to that NFC championship game, which was a backup quarterback on a cheap contract and just a really good defense. And Zimmer thought he could run it back and continue to do that and build through the team. And Spielman tried to pay Kirk and pay Mike's defenders. And that, Obviously, it didn't work out, and when you lose those defenders and they don't play for you, you have uh, two losing seasons. So I, I only saw Zimmer change in the sense that I, I do think he he kind of learned the ebbs and flows a little bit better of how to manage that, but he reached his ceiling as a head coach, I think, because he just never could figure out um, how to kind of find consistency in the other areas of, of his team. Spielman era, too, seems like it's filled with some varying extremes, you know, some draft hits that, you know, are really, you know, 2015, if we're talking about, you know, 
Stefan Diggs, Daniil Hunter, um, you know, those two headliners in, in that class, even Trey Waynes being a productive professional player. And I think they had one more maybe hit from that draft as well. Um, you know, Justin Jefferson in 2020, some other, you know, strong picks along the way, Harrison Smith in 2020, you know, 2012, you know, a lot of the foundation of their team built on defense, Eric Kendricks, um, that was also 2015, wasn't it? So, you know, that draft really setting the tone for them, but also not being able to consistently, you know, quarterback offensive line, the same persistent issues. Again, as you evaluate him, were, were the highs higher than the lows were low? Yeah, that's a good one because I think in today's NFL, I mean, the quarterback's the decision, right? I mean, the reason Brian Gutekunst is going to hold on to that job for years is if Jordan Love becomes a good quarterback. Um, and and the reason why the guy before him, it was because of Aaron Rodgers and Ted Thompson. So uh, I, I think that you need to hit those positions. And if you can't, you need to figure out how to build an offense that's consistent through its offensive line, through its running game. And what Spielman in this front office showed is they can go out there and find you wide receivers. They can find you running backs. They can get you skill talent. But consistently, they fell short on finding the offensive linemen. And when Garrett Bradbury, the highest center drafted in franchise history, at a very pivotal moment in that franchise's history in 2019, coming off a very disappointing season in 2018, two years removed from that offensive line collapsing in 2016, as you referenced, and that's basically the biggest whiff, one of the biggest whiffs of his tenure, uh, along with guys like Laquan Treadwell, who I guess I shouldn't overlook when I talk about his skill talent and his ability to find them. But the O-line, the quarterback, that was the undoing. And, and when you sign Kirk to the deal that you did, that's part of it. That's part of roster building. That's part of your philosophy of how you build a team. And, and I just think that Rick tried to kind of have his cake and eat it too a little bit with that. And I, I think the lows, it's hard for me to say the lows were, were lower than the highs were because as we've talked about, their lows were just mediocre. It was just average. And the Wilfs came out with a statement today and said average is basic, basically average is not good enough. It's a good point. And I think, you know, if I think about what his undoing was besides those specific, you know, positional misses, it's thinking back, I think if we go from 2015 to 2020 and that's not counting 2021 because obviously Darasaw is still on the roster and jury is out on him but he showed some promise this year I believe 2015 through 2020 there is only one first round pick that is still on the roster I think that's Justin Jefferson because you're talking about Trey Waynes you're talking about um, Laquan Treadwell you're talking about not having a pick in 17 because of the Sam Bradford trade who's not on the roster you're talking about Garrett Bradbury, you're talking about Mike Hughes, and you're talking about Jeff Gladney. And that's a lot of misses, guys that, you know, even if you hit on half of those, you're talking about maybe a different scenario here, especially in the defensive backfield and on the offensive line. Yeah, I was telling that, you know, Mike Zimmer said a lot by saying nothing when he was asked, did you have enough? He's asked after the Bears game, did you have enough to compete this year? Did you feel like you were given enough on this roster? And uh, Zimmer didn't defend his roster at all. And just said, let's talk about that some other time. And it's no secret. I mean, the guys deactivated half the draft class every, every week this, this year, um, didn't want to play Kellen Mond dragged Kellen Mond publicly after that bears game. Um, I just think that Zimmer's the kind of guy who, when he doesn't, when he doesn't, didn't have those kind of pieces there, um, especially a corner, I think he kind of started pointing some fingers. Ben has reported that 
them trading back as often as they did with Spielman uh, irked Zimmer, especially even this year when he traded back in the first round and they were starting to worry about some of the guys coming off the board. Um, that to me spoke a lot about that rift there. And again, Cousins is all part of that because that, that just eats up your resources. So I think with Spielman, you missed on too many of those first round picks. And that still goes back to, to those two positions, uh, O-line and quarterback, because the Bradford thing was a panic trade. Yannick Ngakwe, panic trade. It was a situation where they lost somebody and they went out and thought, let's be aggressive. Let's try to plug this hole right away. And maybe didn't think through, you know, hey, maybe we don't know if Sam Bradford's knee is going to hold up beyond 13 months because it didn't. Chris Herndon, even they're going to miss a fourth round pick for that next year. Not like a fourth round pick is massive capital, but there's there's been some instances where they've just, you know what, even the. (laughs) <laughs> spend a fifth round pick on Kari Vidvik. I mean, just yeah. weird yep. little trades. So if you value the draft so much, um, why would you do that? Yeah. And, and two, the, the whole thing that the, the Spielman era was about was kind of being all about the knowns, not really kind of jumping into too many unknowns, but he made some unknown bets, some huge ones, uh, specifically when it came to Ngakwe and Brad and Bradford. But um, yeah, it's, it's funny to, to think about that. And I also saw something else that, um, reminding me that Gardner Minshew was acquired by the Eagles for something like way less than what the Vikings even got Chris Herndon for or something like that. And it's just like, it's one of those things where, yeah, you, you think about it, backup quarterbacks, you can find a guy who's not just Sean Mannion or, or a third round rookie, for instance. Does make me wonder, and maybe this is less for you than just me talking out loud, but you know, Zimmer's comments in the last few weeks make me wonder if he realized if he was going down, maybe he wanted to bring Spielman down with him uh, as well. It's uh, you know that, that's maybe a little bit petty, but it does you know he didn't certainly didn't speak too highly of what he was given in the in recent weeks. No, there have been some finger pointing going on all season too, and we'd heard it. We'd heard it kind of coming from the other way too, with the front office thinking, "Hey, they're running schemes that don't exactly match what we're trying to draft for." And and when you start one and three, and then what was it? I think one and three back to back years. Um, that's kind of bound to happen. So, and Zimmer's the kind of guy he's, he doesn't pull punches and pettiness, childishness. Um, you mentioned at the top that the Jefferson record didn't mean much to you, but it showed his pettiness that, that he would not even try to give it to, to a kid who's done a lot for the organization in two years. Well, we'll see what direction they go next. Um, good stuff all year from you, Andrew, I'll probably give you a a, dis- a lengthy break here, but maybe once there's some news, we'll uh, we'll have you and Ben back on to uh, to talk about what comes next for this team. Absolutely, looking forward to it. Good stuff from Andrew. It it, it does it, it's you know when you think about both of those tenures as they as they are you know at the big picture of them, I think you know there's, there's there were plenty of high moments, plenty of low moments. I don't think you know on balance, I don't know if one weighed weighed more than the other. I, I think when you add it all up, it was more of a it's it was just time for something new, especially after two straight seasons and three out of the last four missing the playoffs, investing heavily in this team and not getting it done. It is time once again for my least favorite team is my favorite team with Keith Rashad. We are going to spend about fifteen seconds or less on the win over the Bears and instead, uh, spend about 15 minutes talking about the only real thing that matters right now, which is that Monday the Vikings fired Mike Zimmer and general manager Rick Spielman. The first felt like a foregone conclusion. The second was maybe more up in the air and qualified as a little bit more of a surprise, but taken in, taken as a whole, taken as we think about everything, I think it's the 
right decision um, and kind of leads to more future questions. But how did you react when you heard the news on Monday, sir? I uh, popped a bottle of champagne. No, I didn't <laughs> do that. I didn't do that. That's 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 not nice. Um, let me just ask one question, though. Yeah. I'm curious about this. I, again, I consume my share of, of Vikings content. And I think that you're right from what I've been hearing that it was a bit of a surprise that Rick Spielman was let go. But I don't fully understand why it was a surprise. I mean, it was the best decision, it seems to me, from the outside looking in. Why, why would it be such a surprise to all of the insiders who, and people who report on this team? I don't understand why, why Rick Spielman would seem to get a bit of a pass. Yeah, I don't either. It, it felt like it was, you know, a clean break was, was the thing that was necessary. Maybe what was going on is, you know, probably a part reporting, part kind of reading the tea leaves and just thinking about how long Spielman had been here, how long, how much the Wilfs seemed to like him. Um, but maybe in the, you know, we're going to hear from, we heard from Mark Wilf on Monday and I'm sure, you know, some of that got, got fleshed out a little bit, but I think, you know, the way I see it, I, I just, I, I just have a hard time thinking about how they, how the Wilf family could have, you know, when they got to the end of the day and thought this is going to be awkward if, if there's some, some sort of structural change, but Rick Spielman is still overseeing the whole thing. It's going to be hard to hire the candidate we want without, you know, some sort of clean break. So, I mean, it might be the case where ultimately they wanted to do one thing, but decided that in, in, in order to have the kind of leadership structure they really wanted, they had to do it this way. And some of that will get fleshed out, I suppose, as we see who they ultimately hire as GM. But uh, that, that would be my guess that as they, you know, maybe as they looked at it more, it just became obvious that that's the structural change they had to make. Well, so a couple of things. One is <clears throat> you've said clean break a couple of times now, two or three times, um, which raises the question, is it a clean break? Well, you still got cousins on the roster and that's something we can talk about maybe in just a, a minute here. But the other thing is, you, you know, I, I, I didn't see, but I heard about Mike Zimmer kind of whining about all the speculation last week about him and that kind of stuff. And, and it, there's there's a couple things to acknowledge, right? One one is simply, you know, I believe that he's right. I believe that he's right that it's probably is tough on the families and tough on people to hear weeks and weeks of speculation about how and to to have an idiot like me have a platform like this to talk about how I want to see you no longer have your job, right? That that cannot be very fun. And we can talk about how they're well compensated. Yes, they are, and it comes with the territory. But I think it's at least worth acknowledging his basic point that they are human beings as well, yes. too. Yes. So, it, you know, those of us who want to say, well, he's trash or you know, that kind of, I mean, maybe we ought to be a little bit more careful with the rhetoric. Uh, the other thing worthy of saying is that Mike Zimmer is not and was not a, a bad human being or a bad uh, defensive coordinator and, and, and does not lack a football mind, uh, it, much like Rick, Rick Spielman's in the, in the same boat. However, as we've talked about many times during the course of this season, it doesn't seem like 
the, it has not seemed like the, the three main cogs that, that we've talked about, Spielman, Cousins, and Zimmer, are able to overcome the shortcomings that they bring to the table. And Zimmer, we've seen, it, Zimmer still has a very good football mind as far as I can tell, but he must be just a miserable human being to have to work for, right? To the point where he's, he's forced to hire a friend's kid to be offensive coordinator in this make or break season for him. Right. And we can talk about the, it's going to be seven different offensive coordinators for Kirk cousins over the, over a span of seven years. But to what, to how much is that, that Zimmer's own fault, right? Where every week, every other week, it seemed he'd get up and he'd talk about how he wouldn't like what they were doing on offense as if he had no influence over it whatsoever, right? And so the very shortcomings that they brought to the table, they just, they could not be overcome despite the fact that they, that all three of them are still very, very talented people and capable at what they do. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the the offensive coordinator point is a good one and it's a, it's a, very juicy stat to say this will the Vikings next year will undoubtedly have their seventh offensive coordinator in seven years. It's fair to point out in the context of that two of those guys left to become head coaches. Um, so it's not all that they were replacing and firing these guys, Shermer in 17 and Stefanski in 2019. They did have a certain level of success that got them those jobs, but yes, there's been turnover there. There've been midseason firings. So, so there, one third of them didn't completely flame out because they worked under Mike Zimmer. Yes. Terrific. Yes. Um, but you know, it's, it's a fair point to acknowledge that there would there would have been more continuity there had they not been able to get other opportunities by having success with the Vikings. But yeah, I think I think your your bigger point about those three guys not working great together, right? I mean, Spielman couldn't draft the quarterback, or you know, got some bad luck with Teddy Bridgewater, but he you know couldn't settle in on the right quarterback. And so finally had to spend the big money on Cousins, which exposed some of his other flaws, you know, in building the offensive line, not hitting on the right draft picks, not making some of the right decisions in free agency. Zimmer probably never wanted Kirk Cousins to begin with. Um, you know, I think pressed on a polygraph, I think he would probably have to say that he wanted someone who was more of a game manager, someone more cost controlled so they could keep spending on the defense. Cousins. Um, you know, came here because it probably presented a good opportunity to win. You know, on paper, they're coming off an NFC title game, but we've seen that, you know, again, I've, I've said this before, but when you spend A money on B talent and then you don't have enough money under a salary cap constraint to, to, to supplement that roster, things start to fall apart. So it was an odd mix to begin with, and it just didn't really come together in the right way. And you're right. I mean, Zimmer's tenure here was 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 fine. He was, you know, 74, 59 and one in eight seasons. I mean, that's not a bad record. He was not a bad coach. This feels like more of just an era that fell, fell short and it was time for a change and the clean break point. You're right. I think the cousin's see, decision. Can I just, will be, can I just say one yes. thing? Cause I, I do want to hear what you say about this clean break. Business, yeah. But, but yeah, not a bad coach, not a bad football mind, not a bad defensive coordinator but not a good head coach, right? That there were enough deficiencies, like not, not so terrible. He wasn't less Steckel. He was, he was, he was, he was an okay head coach. I think with the resources they had, 
um, he did okay with what he had. Well, when you, it, you're right that part of, part of what happens with a, with a, a successful football team is that the coordinators leave because they have success. That is part of what happened with them. But when you churn through six offensive coordinators and we know that not all of them left to be head coaches. And we know that uh, some couple of them left mid season for heaven's sakes, that, that there's something going on there. And there was a real lack of accountability. Mike Zimmer had a tendency to blame everybody but himself particularly when it came to the offense and his lack of accountability. And even last week when he was throwing Kellen Mond under the bus for heaven's sake, that was one of the, one of the more classless things I've seen a coach do in, in quite some time. And so here's a guy who clearly was a very good defensive coordinator, but just never figured out how to do the big job at, at the most successful level and wanted to be the overpaid defensive coordinator. Yeah, I think that ultimately was his undoing. I think I would just say, you know, on taken as a whole, I wouldn't say you, you would never say this was a complete failure. He was 15 games over 500. He did enough good things to say this was just, it just feels like more of a case of this ran its course more than, boy, this guy had to go because he was just utterly incompetent, Where which you find in other situations. Yeah, no, I think I think that's fair. It's just, I mean, right now we're we're splitting hairs, yeah. I guess. Um, but the more interesting thing is going to be Cousins because that's largely going to be determined by whatever you know, new general manager, new head coach, what they think of him. Um, I mean, to me, firing Spielman also makes it more likely that they try to trade Cousins in the off season because that you know it becomes more possible that a new regime wants a total reset and you know if Spielman was still here in some capacity he might lobby for let's let's keep this thing going Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback um you know right now seems like a time to try to trade him um you've you've he's had a had a pretty good year on on in in totality he had a a good run with with the Vikings in four years but I can't imagine extending him again and trying to run this back for three or four years. I mean, it's a roll of the dice, but it, make, it makes it feel more likely to me that they trade him with a with a leadership change. Well, so then we have to talk about something. We got to dig into that just a little deeper, right? Okay. Because you and I have had some version of this conversation for five, six, seven weeks, whatever it's been. Yes. What to do with cousins and, and what, um, and you clearly are of the opinion that it will be possible to trade Kirk Cousins. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and I just, I need, I need help, right? I, I need help. I'm not, I'm not there yet, right? I wonder if as Vikings fans, we don't have to settle our minds on the fact that he's going to eat up $45 million of cap space next year. Next year is going to be terrible. And then after next year, then we have the real rebuild or the real movement forward. Uh, and like, first of all, who is, who is and wants to trade for a 34-year-old quarterback with a $35 million cap hit who's proven that he's not good enough to do it on his own in the way that a Mahomes or a Brady can for that one year? What are, and then what are they even going to give up to, to acquire that. And we, and I've heard you say, you know, then they might want to extend him or what have you, but like, who is within that narrow band of teams that is 
willing to do that and who will give up enough to do that, that makes it worthwhile for everybody involved. And isn't it at, at least, not, isn't it likely, or at least there's some possibility here that they're just going to have to eat the $45 million and, and throw away next year so that they can really reset the year after? Yeah, I think that's entirely possible. I don't know what the market will look like exactly. I just think there are probably going to be five teams who look at it and say, Kirk Cousins could make us better. We were quarterback poor last season. We had a lot of other good pieces. I think Cleveland would be a natural destination with Baker Mayfield struggling with you know Kevin Stefanski being there already. Um, you look at a team like Denver, you look at a lot of you know potential destinations of teams that were at or close to 500 and would look at it and say, this guy might not be our quarterback of the future. Maybe it's just for one year, but um, he could he could get us to the playoffs next season because we were a quarterback away from being a playoff team. It gets the same kind of it's the same thing that the Vikings talked themselves into in 2018, even though they were coming off an NFC title game appearance. They're like, if we get that one consistent quarterback, we can be even better. And some of it might be fool's goal, but I think Kirk Cousins probably would have made Cleveland a playoff team this year. If you watched everything else Cleveland did, I think they might've made, he might've made Denver a playoff team this year. So it's, but, I think but he's is tra- that enough. Is that enough, right? Is wanting to be a playoff team enough to pay whatever price and accept a $35 million cap hit for a quarterback who's now in his mid thirties. Right. And the Viking situation is a little bit different in that they came up, they were off the NFC championship game. Yes. Right? And we all knew that that case Keenum was more likely a one hit wonder or one year wonder than anything else. Right. So that if you got somebody who actually had uh, an NFL pedigree, you could you could have envisioned the bigger and better things that came after that, right? Who's paying for one year of Kirk Cousins in a trade, nonetheless, not just on free agency, but in a trade, nonetheless, to to maybe get to the playoffs? I mean, it's it's a good question. I don't know that a trade is automatic. I think the Vikings might find that what they get back is less than what they want but if they're determined if they're determined to move off of his contract i think they will be able to get it done if they're willing to settle for a certain price i don't i don't i don't i don't think a first round pick is something that is necessarily you know kind of your your starting point or your stopping point i think you could accept so then what is the since we're since we're spitballing like idiots who don't have any actual authority right what is the minimum Right, you're not taking a seventh round pick. No, I think the minimum. Kirk Cousins. I think the minimum is something like a second and a third. Hmm. That feels like it's you know it might not be exactly what you want. I think it maybe sells Cousins a little bit short because Cousins has been a pretty good quarterback. This is again more of a matter of a reset than it is Cousins. You've been horrible at your job. He's frustrating. He's inconsistent, just like the Vikings have been for these four years, but. He does still have some value. So if you can find that kind of sweet spot between unloading and actually getting some value, I think there's there might be a team or two or three that kind of fill that void. But I don't know. I don't think they, I don't think they would be a better team next next year without Kirk Cousins because I don't think whatever quarterback they got in 2022 would be necessarily a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins. But if this is a big picture reset. Um, this feels like it might be the time to do that. 
Well, I hope you're right. Hope they can trade him. You know, and just to follow up to that, we did hear from uh, Mark Wilf on um, on Monday afternoon. Just basically, his message was what they got done this year wasn't good enough. They they want to push forward, win a championship, and I think that's fair. I think you know, I think most people who looked at this and gave it an honest assessment said the the current regime or the the regime that just left did its best, but it wasn't quite good enough. And now it is time for a new voice. Let's finish with the cooler. One name that was on not on Mark Craig's list of 12 potential candidates, but was floated out there Monday was Lane Kiffin as a potential NFL head coaching candidate, maybe linked to the Vikings. I can't imagine that. I can't see it. I'm glad Mark didn't entertain that in his list of 12. Uh, that would be a bizarre scenario, I sure. Um, now, from a content standpoint, that'd be pretty awesome, but uh, I can't imagine that happening. But you know what? Stranger things have happened, and this is the Minnesota Vikings. That will do it for today. Thanks for joining me here on Tuesday. Be back at it again on Wednesday.